after that, that got YouTube to notice that it was a special video just because so many people are watching it. And then YouTube started recommending it to everyone like crazy. Hey, my name is Felix Tia. I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn how to get your first sales by running Instagram auctions, why content needs to change when you're building an audience versus creating customers, and their exact strategy to creating and promoting a YouTube video to a million views. Today, I'm joined by Patrick and Lewis from Patrick Adair Designs. Patrick Adair Designs creates rings made of materials like carbon fiber, titanium, and other rare materials. And we started in 2015 and based out of Salt Lake City, Utah. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Hey, welcome. Hey, so what, what's like, so the, the, I think you told us that you guys, or I think uh, Patrick, you mentioned that you've always been a creative and business-minded person and you've been doing projects like this your whole life, but this was the first legitimate and scalable project you started. First, tell us about the other projects you started. What was that like? So just growing up and like I started this company when I was a senior in high school. So I was really young for all those other previous projects. So they are more just like less serious, whether like in fifth grade, I got banned from selling gum out of my backpack at a certain point. And so I've just always been trying to pedal crap to just all my, just anyone around me. So I, I'd sell stuff on eBay. There was a while, I think one of the coolest things I was doing is there's a EDM music artist named Dead Mouse, mm-hmm. And he has a, just like a really iconic mouse head that he puts on while he's performing. Mm-hmm. And I started making those uh, at my house. I think I was in either early, just probably freshman year of high school, but I, I would just make them by hand. I'd spend a lot of time and using similar like techniques to what I do with my rings now. And I was just making these heads. I'd throw them up on eBay and they'd sell for like 500 or so bucks. And so wow. for the time, you know, I'd put probably like 20 hours of work into each of them, but that was fantastic money and I loved doing it. And so that's just kind of been my entire childhood growing up is just selling stuff, figuring out what I can do to try to I guess, just be an entrepreneur. Mm. So what was different about this particular business with the rings, with uh, Patrick Adair Designs that was different than the other businesses? Um, I guess a lot of them, whether it's like selling stuff to classmates in school, like that's not scalable. There's no like, I can't make a website and sell gum for more expensive than you can get at the grocery store. So that just fundamentally was not a, a legitimate good business, I guess. Um, and then the dead mouse stuff, that's obviously infringing on some like trademark mm-hmm. stuff, not really a scalable. It was just more of like a handmade cool. I wasn't trying to, you know, sell a hundred thousand of these. I was just a, a fan of dead mouse. I didn't want to step on his toes. And I also am not capable of producing more than, you know, in high school, I could produce one a month or something like that. So um, it was the first thing where I thought, okay, what's what's a product that I could make personally that's fairly cheap, that appeals to everyone, that, and something that I could sell online uh, without limits. Like like I said, the Dead Mouse Head had a lot of limits, um, and just something that I could just scale. And that was how I got into this. I I started with well, first I started. I wanted to sell a product made out of carbon fiber. So that was kind of my brainstorm. I've I've done all these things. Uh, in my past, but I was like, I want to do something bigger, something I can put on the internet. And so I bought some carbon fiber. I was messing around with it, and it was uh, fairly simple and straightforward to make a ring out of it. And so that's how I got started in the rings. And uh, mm-hmm. I just kind of saw the, I guess, the tip of the iceberg of the potential that it had and just kind of ran with it. Right. So I'm sure entrepreneurs approach you all the time with their ideas and want to get feedback from you. What do you look at when you have an entrepreneur approach you and you need to and you want to determine if their business is scalable? Because it sounds like a really important aspect of your current business that has led to your success is the scalability factor. So what do you recommend entrepreneurs look at or what did you look at yourself or what do you look at yourself when you look at other businesses to determine if it's scalable or not? That's a great question. Um, there's kind of probably a, a lot of different things that I look for. So in terms of uh, like, I'm a huge proponent of making sure your business is really profitable and rings are great for that because they're a very symbolic thing. They mean a lot to people and they're willing to spend 
a lot of money on it because for a wedding ring or just for any other important reason to wear a ring, um, people are willing to spend money on something that means a lot to them. And so I, I think picking something that is the right, right for profitability, profitability that like you're always going to be, you know, you never want to get your business off on the wrong foot and you're never going to be able to be profitable if you can't be profitable from the get go is kind of my philosophy. Of course, there's, you know, different things you can do, but for the most part, I'd say be as profitable as you can. And, uh, one thing that I would recommend that I, you know, you don't have to do, but it's based on my experience is I started with no money, no budget, no loans, no tools. Even I just bought like $30 of carbon fiber. Cause that's all I could afford. So I would start with something that you don't need a business loan for. I think a lot of people are like, well, if I could just get like $20,000 from this loan, I'm sure I could be successful. And I think that's the wrong way to look at it. I think you need to start with a strategy that allows you to just hit the ground running and, you know, start from $0, scale your way up to $100 a month and then go from there. Don't don't try to get yourself $20,000 in debt. Mm-hmm and crawl your way out of it. Got it. So you mentioned that the, the first big success were the dead mouse heads, and it took you 20 hours to make each one of them. How long did, did does the uh, the rings take to make? I'm sure your, your process may be different today, but like at the very beginning, give us an idea of how long each each product took you to make. And that that's a great question, because in the beginning, it took me a lot longer, and that was one of the things I uh, was able to figure out to make myself even more profitable and um, just in general, be able to sell more product because of uh, increased production capacity. But I would spend a lot of time on every ring from the beginning. I'd spend, well, the carbon fiber rings is where I got started, and then I moved on to more custom stuff. So the carbon fiber rings, those were kind of quick and easy, and I figured out a quick process. I probably averaged about 30 minutes per ring. But the other rings that I started getting into, I'd spend 10 to 12 hours on one of them. And I was just kind of experimenting with what I could do. And I should probably explain the backstory to how I was selling them after I did my Kickstarter. I I did a Kickstarter for those carbon fiber rings. I I never explained that. Sorry for not making that clear. So essentially for that Kickstarter, I posted a, it was just a really quick Kickstarter I did. I spent probably 24 hours from start to finish working on the project page and as well as the video. I edited the video and shot it on my iPhone. So it was just very simple, very straightforward. And it brought in about $5,000 and that was great. You know, it wasn't a very big Kickstarter, but it was one that I was able to do quickly. So people shouldn't shoot for like $100,000 from the get-go. I say go for the 5000 and then work your way up from there. So that was really helpful to me. And then after I did that Kickstarter, I started an Instagram page where I would post the work that I did. I had all this ring-making equipment, and so I would just kind of document what I was doing. I was just having fun messing around making rings, and I would try to sell them. And I essentially would just sell a ring to the highest bidder. Whoever would was willing to pay the most for a custom ring that week is who I'd make it for. So they'd pay me like, at the beginning, it was like 50 to 70, 80 bucks. And I would spend 10 hours, 12 hours on the making of it, probably five hours researching it and uh, going back and forth with them on ideas. So making less than minimum wage, but it was a lot of fun and I was learning a lot. And then I was able to tweak everything that I did, my design, my uh, production process, all of that to get it down to where some of the rings could be really customized. They could be, they look cool, really unique, all of that. And they could take me an hour and a half or less. And so that was kind of, uh, I don't know, just a really good thing for me as a business. I started out with something that wasn't really that scalable. If I was spending 12 hours on a ring, it would be really hard to make it profitable and be really hard to scale because we'd have to charge so much for them. And so just trying to see what's successful and then how can I adapt that to make it scalable was that experience. Got it. So you were creating these custom rings and then were you like taking notes of like what you could do, what kind of rings you could create more scalably and you don't, you didn't have to actually, you know, do these one off. Like how are you using the custom rings to, I guess, inform and, guide you guide your your business uh, around the more scalable products the more scalable product lines that you are creating that weren't custom um that's interesting question you know there wasn't too much um strategy other than you know I literally just didn't have time to offer so 
I, I would probably, and the, the thing is with rings too, is a ring can take 20 hours to make or it can take two hours to make. And you can't really tell the difference for, for some of them, obviously mm -hmm. like a really ornate ring with hand engravings and all that, that's priceless and you can never uh, reproduce that in a matter of hours. But for the most part, the customer doesn't know how long it takes. And so being able to make something quickly and efficiently, but still making it high quality and not underselling yourself. So just because that ring took a shorter amount of time doesn't mean it's any less special, any less beautiful, anything mm -hmm. like that. And so I tried to just kind of push my audience towards liking those, which they did. And I, you know, I do sales on those a lot more heavily than I would on my other designs. And so I think just naturally I tried to steer people towards it and, you know, they, they, they obviously responded well to it. Right. Okay. So you, well, you, you, you have this approach where you want to make sure that the products you sell are profitable from the beginning, meaning that each unit that you sell is going to be profitable and you don't believe in the kind of, I guess, thinking where you kind of become profitable with volume. You want mm -hmm. to be able to start making money on that first product and not be losing out. So your approach was to launch a Kickstarter, of course, which which uh, which is essentially you know pre-selling your product. So obviously, no cost other than the time that you put into creating the, the page, it sounds like. But then you went on Instagram to start selling these custom rings. So you're selling custom products that you're, it's kind of made to order whenever you are placing, a, are you placing, like what, what are you putting up on Instagram to kind of attract people to start bidding on the, pro, the the custom rings back then it was i'm pulling up my instagram here it was pretty um it's it's really it's kind of a weird concept when i explain it to people especially people who aren't as familiar with instagram um but it is weird for instagram too i would just post i'd post what i was doing i'd post a cool picture of a ring and i'd get people interested like hey that was an interesting ring could i buy one from you and you know, nine times out of 10, they don't end up actually going through with a transaction. And so that's kind of frustrating when you're getting started, but something you kind of have to accept. But with an auction, that is almost a guaranteed way to sell something. And it, you're probably not going to make enough money for it to be worth your time, especially for a really long time until you can build up some popularity. But you can guarantee to sell yourself something, or you can guarantee to sell customers a product. And so um, I would just post what I was doing, and then probably once a week, I would post a picture of maybe two or three example rings that I'd made in the past that I thought were cool, and then maybe just a picture of some interesting materials that they could have as an option for the ring. And so I'd just post like, hey, this is an auction post. Comment down below what you're willing to pay, and whoever is willing to pay the most in 24 hours, they will win the auction, and I will work with them to make them a custom ring. What about the this auction model makes the you more likely to get a sale than just kind of you know pushing people to buy a product at a set price? Yeah, well, it, it's also you know it makes it really exclusive, so people are like this is my one chance to get this thing, and so now is the time to actually put my money where my mouth is. But the biggest thing is I start the auction at one dollar, whereas I I'd really like to try to sell the ring for a hundred or more. Mm -hmm. And so it's probably going to sell for like 40 to $60 and you're not really making your money back in terms of it being worth your time, but it's a way for you to get some momentum. You can get a customer base, you can get some popularity and next week you're almost guaranteed to get more for that auction. And so just because the auction is like generating some kind of buzz and more people are coming to your page. Yeah, exactly. And and you make something custom for one person and you post the results of it and you post how happy they are. They post a picture once they get it. And so it's just a really, really solid uh, just buzz, like you said, mm -hmm. just gets people really excited for it. And, okay. And you run these auctions for like one day or how long does it run for? Um, it depends. I, I do one that's like a flash auction. It'll end in 24 hours or you know, I'd let it run for two or three days. And it just depends. If someone else is going to want to try this, I'd say experiment, you know, You'd probably want it to be at least 24 hours to give people a chance to see your post, um, but maybe do up to three days or so. Got it. So people were just commenting the price they would pay, and what was the conversion rate there? Like, I'm I'm sure that there are still some kind of like tire kickers that would win, but not really want to go through with it. So, what yeah. was the conversion rate with this model? Yeah, it's interesting. I think I I don't know if I ever had. I think I had one out of probably. 
And I stopped doing the auction thing after a while. I probably did like 20 of them. But I think I only had like one person not actually come through. So, And it kind of depends on your community who your follower base is. But I would try to have like a really, I don't know, I, I put like a disclaimer in there. Like, I, I, I don't think I have it word for word on this post. But just like, you know, don't post if you're not willing to bid and then or actually pay through PayPal at the end. And then you'd want to make sure people have like a, a reputation, not necessarily a reputation, but if they've got one follower, no posts, they're probably not a legit account. They could be just trolling even. That can happen. And so just make sure that they're a legitimate account. But when it comes to Instagram, it's usually people's personal page where they have followers from their personal friends. They they aren't willing to, you know, somewhere like YouTube where you don't have your personal main page where all of your friends follow you people are a lot more willing to be obnoxious or troll there but instagram i think it really is a nice community where uh, people usually are fairly legit right so when you first started this how many how big was your following i'm really small i'm trying to get a sense for it you know i was getting i got like 40 posts so i'll kind of go through my this one has 40 so my older posts, it looks like I was getting about like 40 likes per post. And this could be different where people go back in time and like the photo. But essentially, I had, I think, like one to 200 followers that came through from Kickstarter where I said, hey, guys, I started this Instagram page. You can follow my future projects here. Um, I, I got a little bit of a response from that. But from there, I needed to do stuff like I do giveaways and try to get followers from that. And there's kind of a community of uh, makers on Instagram. There's ring makers, knife makers, all of that. And so um, there's kind of a cool community there. So you do a giveaway and it kind of uh, gets spread throughout the community. And they're not super effective, but you know, you'd get the followers rolling through. And I think I started doing the auctions once I had I think I had about 500 followers by the time I started doing auctions and, and I'd actually get uh, a few bids and I think this one sold for like 50 bucks or something. Yeah. So once I had like 500 followers or so, I was able to sell a ring for like 50 bucks. That's kind of. Okay. So it's definitely, definitely a manageable level to get to for anyone that is serious about starting bids like this, you know, a few hundred to 500 followers is certainly an achievable yeah. uh, starting point. So you mentioned that you eventually did stop the auctions after 20 or so. What made you decide to, what, what made you make that decision? Mostly just the orders were flowing through naturally and I didn't really have time for it. At this point, I don't even take custom requests on rings. So, um, it's just not something that is really applicable to us anymore, but it is something that I would love to get back into. I think it could be a really uh, special and interesting thing for us to do. It's just kind of too low on our priorities list right now to be worth doing, but I'd love to get back into it. Right, makes sense. So now what's the strategy today? Like, so if, if Instagram, like these custom rings through these auctions is no longer being done, like what do you guys focus on today to, to drive uh, traffic and sales to the store? So today, kind of our main uh, strategy is the YouTube channel that we have behind it. And so that's kind of a unique thing, too. Most e-commerce companies aren't fueled by a YouTube channel. So that's something that we think is really special to our company. What I ended up doing was filming my process while I would make the ring, turn it into a video, post it to YouTube, and try to get people to watch that. And it was within a year that... I, I probably started doing it a year after I started my Instagram and it was about a year later where my YouTube actually overtook my Instagram in terms of followers and views. And so it was able to overlap our success on Instagram pretty quickly. And that's been a great thing. That's where kind of like our top of the funnel, that's what mm -hmm. Lewis will probably get into a lot more later, but that's just kind of where we gather our interest for um, people being aware of our product and from there, we have a lot of other strategies, such as like Facebook ads, retargeting ads, our email newsletter, all of that. But kind of the kind of main source of where we try to procure our customers is by posting YouTube videos that are genuinely entertaining so that they will get organic success, not, not paid views or anything like that. 
Right. So, I mean, you, Instagram has the technology for you to put out these videos as well. What made you decide to try to expand to a different platform? Oh, that's a great question. I think YouTube's a much better fit for the content that I post there. So on Instagram, I had to really fight for all of my followers. It wasn't super scalable. There's even, you know, you do giveaways. You can even follow and unfollow people. I'm sure people on this podcast are probably kind of familiar with that. That's kind of that uh, mm. just classic grind when you're starting an Instagram page. But And you can do that, but you have to fight so hard to get every single one of your followers. And so it's kind of like, a, you know, there's only so many hours in a day you can try to get Instagram followers, but it really wasn't scaling on its own. There was no exponential growth to it or anything like that. And so once I got to like 10,000 followers, it's still just you know, it was just like that straight line of growth that was really slow. It was, you know, nice and steady, but I was not getting any love from the Instagram algorithm, I think is kind of what it comes down to. And that's okay. Um, Instagram is not for rings. That's, I, I'm not mad at Instagram for that, but YouTube is much more uh, fit for this content. And so I'd post videos showing how I make it. That's what people are really into on YouTube. That's not the only thing, but that's that's something that's really popular on YouTube. So they want to see makers doing stuff. They want to see how they make things. And then they like seeing the transformation from you're starting with. And I think kind of one of my big things when I was starting was starting with unconventional materials. I start with a block of carbon fiber, a piece of marble, some copper, and I turn it into a beautiful ring. And so people love seeing that transformation. And so that gave it success on the YouTube algorithm where I don't think it was a great fit for Instagram. But what I do think was important was it was really easy to get started on Instagram. It was easy to get those first 500 followers where on YouTube, it's almost impossible. You'll post a video and you'll get zero views, like legitimately zero views or 50 or less. And so it's so hard to get started there. So once I built up my Instagram, I could push them to my YouTube and that gave it kind of the kickstart it needed to get some actual success outside of that. And then there really was some fantastic exponential growth to that where we just naturally have that be kind of our main hub of Patrick Adair Designs now. Mm -hmm. Did you already see people creating similar content? Like what, What? because obviously, like you mentioned, it's that's way less friction to growing on YouTube today. It's eclipsed your following on Instagram, but you still had to put in some initial grunt work where you might not have seen any results early on, or at least results were not as good as if you post on Instagram early on. So what did you see that made you decide to start in the first place? Uh, on YouTube? Right? On YouTube. Yeah. Um, Jimmy Diresta is a perfect example of this. So I've been, you know, I love YouTube. I've probably watched an average of two hours of YouTube a day for the past decade. Like I know it like from A to Z kind of. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of YouTube. I, I know a lot of the makers on there. And Jimmy Diresta is someone that I've been a fan of forever. And so what he does, if you're not familiar with his channel, he's literally, he's just a guy in upstate New York and he makes whatever he wants. So in one of his videos, he makes a canoe. In another one, he makes a sign for a local business. In one, he makes a ginormous padlock. And so he's just making interesting stuff, and he had a great following there. And there's a lot of other channels similar to that, but he's kind of like my favorite and one of the kind of original maker YouTubers. Um, and so I, I knew that uh, market was there. I think he's had over a million subscribers for quite a while now. And so I've always liked that. I've always wanted to do that, but had no real way of trying to get it started. And so as soon as I saw that opportunity through my Instagram, I really tried to run with it and yeah, there really was, there was that proof of concept where there are other people on there and people are genuinely interested in watching other people make interesting things. Yeah, I guess YouTube does make more sense because there's a little bit longer attention span on there to see someone making something. If I'm on Instagram, I almost want to see all like the cuts like of, just give me the highlights, right, of, of you making something within the next like 10 seconds, but YouTube yeah. definitely has more, uh, I guess, uh, a more, uh, the context of it, the context of the video is in on YouTube, people have more patience to watch it play out. Uh, how, how large is the following that you have on YouTube today? Our, our subscribe, I think we're at like 570,000 subscribers, give or take. That's amazing. How long did it take to get to that point? Um, it's been three years. Three years, yep. Yeah. Almost awesome. exactly three years since I started the channel. 
Right. Were there specific like inflection points where things just took off to another level each time? Like, was there a specific video? Like, was there anything that you could point and say that was the reason why our growth has grown so quickly? Um, I think, I think the biggest thing, and I hear so many YouTubers hit this exact same point when they talk about their growth and all that is hitting your first subscriber milestones. And it's kind of in that 100 to 10,000 subscribers range. That's kind of the hardest thing, being able to actually break through the kind of YouTube barrier and have YouTube show your stuff to people and kind of have it see the light of day. That's kind of the, the trickiest part. That's where probably somewhere in the 99 percentile of channels gets stuck because it's so hard to actually get your stuff noticed and appreciated. So once you can kind of get there, everything from there, we of course have had some amazing successes. We've had some fantastic collaborations. We've had videos that go, we, one of our videos has over 10 million views. So just, we just get really, and, and it comes down to the YouTube algorithm, liking the video and promoting it for you in our case for that video. So, um, Nothing, you know, nothing that was just like, this is the magic thing that we did, but is really just doing whatever you can to make sure that you get those first, you know, it's hard to put a number, but like I said earlier, 100 to 10,000 subscribers, that's kind of the window where if you can get to that point, that's where YouTube will actually take you seriously and kind of let your stuff see a broader audience and they'll advertise it to more people and you'll bring in more fans, all that. Mm. So you mentioned that one of your videos has 10 million views. Some of you, that's an example of a video that's gone viral. And obviously you can't force a video to go viral, but I'm sure there are certain boxes that you now know to tick off to give yourself the best chances of going viral or at least getting recommended by YouTube and getting you know, more views than you would typically get. What is that to you? Like, what are certain things that you try to do today to make sure that you set up a video for success? Um, so I guess, you know, we have a lot of different strategies. Some, some of the videos, we just want to make a ring that the customers that we already have, the subscribers that we already have are going to really like, and is going to be effective at converting their view into an order. But then there's others where we're trying to get a ton of views on the video and we try to make it appealing to a mass audience. And so you can see some of our successes and failures with that. If I just I'm just pulled up my YouTube page now and our third most recent video, I said I would it the video title is using my silver YouTube play button to make a ring. So I took my play button, I ground some pieces nice. off the back of it and I turned it into a ring. That's kind of a strategy to get a video that that's a really wide appeal. Everyone on YouTube, it you know, it's really popular to do a video with your silver play button once you get them. And so that can be a really good chance for success and that hasn't been super successful it's done a little bit better than average and over the next six months or so maybe it'll continue to do really well and we'll look back and it'll be a great success um, but that was just kind of an attempt we did it worked out okay but just not fantastic um, but before that we made a ring that subscribes you to PewDiePie and this was a very uh, thought out video we had like a really intense strategy for it and we posted that a month ago and it's already to 4.6 million so that one was a huge success. Um, PewDiePie right now is the, he might actually have just been passed, but he's essentially the largest YouTuber mm -hmm. on YouTube. Sorry, this is a ring that subscribes you to PewDiePie's channel? I, I don't get it. How does this work? Yes. Oh, so yeah, I should probably explain that. That's weird. Um, we put an NFC chip in the ring. So if you touch it to your phone, it'll open up a link and prompt you to subscribe to PewDiePie. And then it'll actually prompt you to unsubscribe from T-Series. So that was kind of the whole joke. It's just kind of playing off that YouTube culture that, you know, that's a really hot topic right now, an even hotter topic a month ago when we posted it. And so that got a lot of attention. People really liked it. People showed it to PewDiePie. He ended up showing it in one of his videos. And after he showed it in his video, we got a ton of people coming to watch that. And we probably had like 100,000 views from that in within 48 hours. But then after that, that got YouTube to notice that it was a special video just because so many people are watching it. And then YouTube started recommending it to everyone like crazy. So PewDiePie brought in 100,000 views for us. And then YouTube kind of took over the reins and they brought over, it was over a million views in 24 hours at one point. So Yeah, you sound like you, you, sound like you, you obviously 
you plan this out, right? You mentioned that there was a, an intense, deliberate strategy around this. Can you talk more about that? Like, what is what what what, what was the strategy that you went into this with? Um, I'll have Lewis explain it because he helped me orchestrate it, and he literally we came up with like a flow chart of what we wanted to do. So he'd be great to talk about it. All right. So our whole idea was we noticed that Patrick's audience's demographic overlaps with PewDiePie's. They're both males aged 18 to 25 and patrick's also a big fan of pewdiepie so like it gave us insight like we knew what those people liked and what they didn't so of course the first goal was to make um just like a video that would be good that would appeal to patrick's core demographic as well as this other demographic like because we wanted to hit the overlap but we also wanted pewdiepie subscribers to be able to watch the video and just Mm -hmm. enjoy the video even though it might not be what they normally watch So, of course, the first step was to create good content. But then at that point, we wanted to take advantage of the fact that there was a demographic overlap. And we also knew that PewDiePie regularly posts content from his subreddit on his YouTube channel. Like, he does a review of the top posts on his subreddit. So our goal was to run a guerrilla marketing strategy to get the video to the top of the subreddit. And it was fairly organic because we made the video and then we had we posted on the subreddit about the video and had some people who were active there post about it as well. But that natural overlap also made, I think it was about seven to 10 people that were our subscribers that we had never talked to also posted the video in the subreddit. So it quickly became like, became like a trending buzzing topic on the subreddit. And so then people started talking about it, looking at the memes people were making about it and it got upvoted and it ended up being one of the highest posts or the highest upvoted posts of that week which then meant when pewdiepie went to do his weekly like subreddit review it was now at the top so the only way he couldn't see it and talk about it was if he chose not to and because like it was just it was a fun thing like you know no harm no foul we weren't we didn't sell it we weren't trying to monetize off of it of it or anything and we actually took a large portion of the traffic we were getting to it and we ran a charity raffle and donated money to a charity PewDiePie had donated to in the past. So it made it very like, you know, like we weren't trying to capitalize and be like, Mm -hmm. oh, look, talk about us because we want to make a whole bunch of money off you. It was just like, hey, look, we did this because we thought it would kind of like, you know, like it is a PR stunt, but it was also like we want to use the traffic and the attention to give back to a community, to the community, and like we'll give back to the community you like since. So we donated to um, a charity he donated to in the past because we were like, you know, like you're, we're kind of like feeding off of your attention. So let's mm-hmm. make sure we're giving back, you know? Right. That makes sense. I, I love this approach where you're not going directly at PewDiePie. You're not trying to send them like a direct message or an email. You are trying to get a smaller win that you know will lead to the bigger win. So that smaller win of getting onto Reddit was much, much more achievable than trying to, you know, get into PewDiePie's inbox. I'm sure he's has tons of people hitting up hitting him up all the time. So I like that you you kind of backed out of this and try to find how can I how can you kind of set off this domino effect and then go for something that's much more achievable early on and then lead up to you know, eventually having one of the largest YouTubers talk about your your the product that you made. So you you guys talked about the two types of content that you're creating and I, and I like this this the way that you you talked about this because I, I've never thought about it this way, which is that you have to have content that is focused on getting new audience and then content to get the existing audience to buy. So what is the what about the approach of getting an existing existing audience to buy? Like what is the content that you create in that case? So I'll I'll go through some of my videos and give like good examples and bad examples. So I'd made a ring out of fire hose. So I took fire hose, I cut it into sheets, stacked it up, infused it with resin, and turned it into a ring. And that was really cool and interesting, and people liked watching it. But that's not a valuable material. People don't really want a ring made out of hose. That that's not mm-hmm. like no one's going to buy that. And there could be. There was quite a few firemen interested in that. And we, if we did a sale where we sold them, but essentially people aren't going to be willing to pay a lot of money for that, anything like that. And so that was just kind of the let's get people viewing our videos and let's get them interested in stuff. But then there's stuff that where I go to make a video, I'm like, okay, we want to sell a ring, so I need to make it out of uh, scalable design. And so the design needs to be 
uh, straightforward to make. It needs to be a durable ring, one that we're not going to run into issues with it cracking or breaking or anything like that. And so I think one of our best examples of this is called our Stardust ring. And so I made it with a cobalt chrome base, and that's a metal that is fantastic for jewelry. It's hypoallergenic, it's super strong, and it holds a really nice polish. And so it's great for a ring, it's great for a wedding ring, it's you know, you know uh, something that you could put on your finger forever. And so that is really important if you're trying to sell a ring, something that people actually like and want to have, not just as a for fun thing, because then they're not willing to spend a lot of money. And so... Um, we then did an inlay that we thought would be cool. We used meteorite shavings for that. So that's a really interesting, fun material. We have all the meteorite shavings in the world at our shop because it's a byproduct of our other meteorite rings that we make. And so it just has, from the start to finish, it's got cool materials that it's used. It, it's made of cool materials, and then it's made out of durable materials, and it's made out of scalable materials for us. And there's nothing in it that is super expensive for us so that it can be a profitable product. Got it. So you are basically creating videos of the essentially feature products that people actually want to buy, not just like videos that are entertaining to watch or the videos that are kind of, you know, I guess, more gimmicky in that case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like one of, I, I just noticed I made a ring out of cake sprinkles. Like <laughs> it's cool, fun to watch. No one wants to put that on their finger and wear it forever. Right. So you mentioned that you can't just create videos of you making stuff. Like that's not good enough. You also have to be entertaining. So are you doomed yeah. if you're just not an entertaining person or you're not like a funny person? Like, is there a, a way? Is it can, can it be learned or that there are things you can learn to to kind of set yourself up for success here? And it can be learned. I'm not the most like charismatic person, and I'm aware of that. But like, you can put on a face and you know make a quick video. But even that aside, I think somewhere where you can take inspiration is think of someone who doesn't even speak English. So you can find YouTube channels like this. There's YouTube channels that are huge and they have an audience of people in America. America is kind of, don't don't quote me on this, but at least America has a huge YouTube audience. And so there's definitely people trying to get videos popular here. And if you don't speak English, that's really hard. Um, but you can style your videos in a completely different way than I do. I think a fantastic example of this is uh, a guy, he's another jeweler. His name is Pablo Sima Davila, and he's from Spain. And he might speak English, I don't know, but um, he doesn't talk in any of his videos. Um, but if you go, if you're watching, or if you're listening to the podcast, I recommend you look up my channel and you look up his channel. These are, they're two very different styles, but both can be, completely successful. Um, he doesn't do any talking in his videos, but he has a style where he just tries to make it really cinematic. He tries to make beautiful rings. He does really cool up-close shots with a good camera, good lighting, all of that. And so it's just a fantastic video to watch. He has like inspirational music that he puts behind it. So people just really like watching his stuff, not because he's an entertaining person, but because he made an entertaining video. Mm, makes sense. So now that you are getting the attention, there are people coming to watch the video, how do you actually direct them to your store or to, to buy the product that you're talking about in the video? Okay, yeah. Um, so we in, in the videos, we obviously we want to make sure people are very well aware that we sell the rings, but we don't want to be too uh, overbearing with kind of our sales pitch because first of all, people aren't going to like that. And if people don't like that, then they're not going to watch our videos as much. And if they don't watch our videos as much, YouTube can tell and they won't recommend our videos as much. So like, you want to make sure at the end of the day, our YouTube videos are getting watched by our viewers. And you just want to be subtle with it. Like, hey, if you enjoyed this video and you thought this ring was cool, you can check out my website. I've got a link to it down in the description below. And then from there, that's where we uh, really go kind of hard on the sales tactics after that. Got it. Can you give us an idea of how how quickly you, the business has grown since you started this? You know, about four years ago. Let's see. It was uh, 2016, 2015 when I did I did my Kickstarter. So I did that, and that was kind of like a part time thing while I was in high school. It brought in like five thousand dollars, but from there I didn't have any major income after that. I'd have the occasional ring order, but I was in school. I wasn't devoting a ton of attention to it. 
And so there's kind of that initial 5,000 that I brought in that was great and got me started. And then I just kind of coasted. And then the following summer in 2016 is when I actually, I was done with school for the year. And so I devoted a lot more attention. So at that point, I was able to go, we'll say I was probably bringing in less than $500 a month from before then. And then I was able to slowly grow. And it was slow at this point. You can, you know, when you look at an exponential curve on a graph, the growth at the beginning almost looks like nothing, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's very slow going. And, um, but that's important. But I started, you know, like I said, under 500 a month, and it probably took me about a year until probably June of 2017 is when I was really on kind of another level. And so like January 2017, I was still, you know, January is a much slower month. I probably did like a thousand the December of 2016, but then January was maybe more like 300 or something. And so I was really just kind of just crawling baby steps still in January 2017. So that's kind of almost two years later. Um, But that was really only kind of six months of focus at that point. And then from there, that's when the YouTube started growing. And then we were up to, I think, five figures a month by the middle of that year. And so that's kind of where the exponential growth of it kind of took off like a rocket. That's that that was mid twenty seventeen or mid twenty eighteen? Mid twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen, yep. got it. So yeah, and that was when we kind of really hit a stride with YouTube and we had some stuff get some you know, like it's not too hard to get like a thousand views on YouTube if you know, and that's that's great and fantastic. If you're getting a thousand views, that's so much better than zero in so many ways. But it's not too difficult to have a video you know, because videos on YouTube will get up to like 50 million views, you know, 10,000 views is fantastic for me, but it's not even like a drop in the bucket of what's possible on YouTube. And so, you know, there's a lot of volatility. And so if you can just have one or two videos hit a little bit of success, that's kind of what it took. And that's what kind of took things, helped take things to the next level so quickly within that six month period. Is it just like putting out a lot of content or like, is it better to have quantity that put you put out until you find something that hits or do you try to be more focused on the type of content you put out like it not 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 the stage that you're at today but like if someone were to start out yeah. what is the recommended approach um i think the most important thing is to make sure that you're putting out good stuff and to make sure you have a strategy so if you're making a really great video every single week and you go post it and it's still not getting any views it's not seeing the light of day you can do that for three years and still not have mm-hmm any success outside of that. So you, all that time, you've just been wasting your time. I would suggest if you are struggling to hit that initial success, even though you're putting in all this great effort is maybe take half of that effort that you're putting into your videos and focus it on allowing those videos to see the light of day. So maybe go post it on a Reddit page. Maybe you could go to like r slash jewelry and show people like, Hey, check this ring out that I made this video I made along with it. And, and that can be really tricky. People on Reddit, the last thing they want you to do is try to spam them with stuff that's going to benefit you personally. They like absolutely hate that. And so you have to have a really good strategy with that. You have to have genuine content that's genuinely good. And you have to post a real caption for it. Like, hey, what do you guys think of this ring I made? Don't, don't say, hey guys, check out my ring channel. I'm doing 50% off for any orders from Reddit. Like people aren't going to like that. They know that you just want to use them for their money. And then, you know, there's a thousand different things you can do. You can go into Facebook groups for people who are jewelers and talk to them about jewelry and kind of go back and forth, make connections, make friends in the industry. And, and you don't have to spam your content to them. But if they know that you're the guy that makes those YouTube videos, they're going to go back and watch it. And if it's good content, then they're going to keep watching it and they'll share it with their friends, all of that. And so I think absolutely the number one thing is make sure you're posting content, but don't get stuck in that just repetitive mindset of just make videos and hopefully one day the YouTube algorithm will do the rest. Yeah, like... right. Yeah, I think I think a big other big lesson that I hear hear from you is that you have to be aware of what the results are. You have to be attuned to to that that feedback and change direction. Like at some point, right, you can't just keep on 
banging your head against the wall and hoping things will change. And you sound like you did this with that move from Instagram to YouTube. You noticed that you weren't getting the results that you wanted. Let's try something new. Can you think of any other examples that you have seen in your own business or that you feel like you see in other entrepreneurs where they are kind of banging their heads against the wall, where you might want to just like shake them and say, hey, try something, try something new? Nothing too specific. I'm I'm struggling to think of anything outside of the jewelry realm because I'm not as experienced, obviously. Um, but I, you know, you just see a lot of people who they've built up a fan base. They've got people who are ordering rings, and they think that the best thing for them to do is to just keep making that next good ring design that everyone's going to love, and one day you'll just have this fantastically large audience. That's that's kind of a logical fallacy that I see within the industry that a lot of people don't like you look like a home run or something is that yeah well not even that you know just kind of you know maybe if I keep making good rings one day I'll have a hundred times the number of followers that I have and that's going to take if you've been doing it for one year it's going to take a hundred years to do that that's you know like that's linear growth that's not what can allow you to really kind of blow up your business in the way that you want to and so I think, you know, and one of the best things to do is hire someone for your help. If you're to the point where you're making enough money that you can scrape by as well as pay someone $10 an hour to help you out, I think that's a fantastic thing to do. You can get buried in 40 hours of ring making a week. You're trying to fulfill orders that you have no time to innovate, no time to change things up. And so you just get stuck there. You're kind of flatlining and maybe you can charge a little bit more per ring once you have a better reputation. But other than that, that's just kind of like a linear growth. Mm-hmm. I see. You're you're basically like you're saying that don't get hooked on that. What got you that level of success? It's going to require something different if you want to grow exponentially. And I think you also are basically saying like you can't just focus on the product. Yes, you know, obviously have a great product, but if no one's going to see your products, then it doesn't matter. So if you're just focused and stuck in your kind of lab and working on the product, working on the product, but then not really getting out there and focusing on ways to get the world to see it, then you're you're going to have a great product, but you're not going to have a great business. And I think that that's important thing is that a business is, is much, much more than just the product that you, you're putting out there. So you mentioned building out that support by hiring hiring someone. Do you have a team at this point? Like what is the kind of, who's who's working behind the scenes over, over at the business? So I've got Lewis, who's my CMO and just kind of, he's a business partner and just like my right-hand guy. He like, we spend... 50, 60 hours a week working on the company and neither of us do any of the order fulfillment or anything like that. It's all just trying to grow the business in all the different strategies we have. And so um, we're kind of the two uh, leaders of the company, I'd say. And then we've got multiple other, um, I, I, I maybe should let Lewis explain this, but you know, we've got other people in the office. We have people dedicated to helping us grow on social media. We actually started a LLC specifically for growing uh, just us and any other companies on social media using our kind of, we call it guerrilla strategies of just kind of brute forcing your way into the market. You don't need ad budget. You don't need a huge following. There's a lot of stuff you can do that's worth your time that if you just sit down and do all this work, you can have a lot of great success on social media. So we spend... You know, we probably have 40 to 80 man hours a week devoted to uh, just direct social media stuff. We do a lot of stuff on Pinterest now, for example. Um, And then, you know, we've got five to eight ring makers at any given moment. And then um, another couple office hands. So there's probably, you know, between all of our uh, employees and contractors, there's you know, there's at least 20 people at any given moment working on Patrick Adair design stuff, I'd say. Awesome. Then what about running the the store, the online store itself? Are there any apps or services that you depend on? Um, I'll let Lewis go into this. Yeah. So I, I primarily oversee that. Um, services, we're really big on email marketing. Like we do huge portions because like we're selling in luxury jewelry. So there's a really long customer acquisition window. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, sometimes we're seeing 45 days from first touch to conversion, you know? So, like, we want to make sure we're following up. So, we're, we use email and Facebook retargeting heavily for that. Um, my favorite 
email marketing service that integrates with Shopify is Klaviyo. It's I just think it has the strongest like it integrates the easiest and has the most power there. Um, because we're doing so much with email, of course, like lead capture for email is really important. So we use just Uno for our like pop up um, captures and our banners on our site. Uh, the other big thing, all of our products are made to order. So we use product options by bold so they can be highly customizable. So like we have products that have, you know, I mean, literally probably over a hundred thousand variants if you, depending on how you customize it. And all of those have different like price points. Like say you want a ring that has diamonds and glows this color and also incorporates this other material we have to price that out. And so we use product options by bold for that. Um, we use, we're really heavy on G suite, like the entire Google atmosphere, like Google drive, Google sheets. Um, we use G suite for our emails and then all the other tools we use, all the other apps are kind of like, they get changed out on probably almost like a, every two months we will, because we're just trying to always optimize and see which is the best one. So like we're always switching between like which Facebook messenger bot do we like the best, which customer review store or like customer review acquisition apps are the best, you know? And so I don't really have like solid recommendations of like, as far as favorites there, because like we're doing it, but we're always grabbing the next app and then comparing to see what we like from one, what we like from the other deciding which one to keep. And then we see another new one come out and we test that. And, you know, just always trying to optimize for that little extra few percentage points of conversion rate. Right. That's certainly the name of the game, just testing out a little different things to move the needle a little bit. So thank you so much for your time, Patrick and Lou. So patrickadairdesigns.com is a website. What's something new that you guys are focusing on in 2019? Like what, where, do you, where do you have your attention these days? Um, Pinterest has been a, a huge thing for us. We have made some connections with a lot of uh, really successful Pinterest uh, users, and they've shown us a lot of stuff that we're missing out on. Pinterest is kind of this fantastic place that people, I think, underrate it, especially if you don't have a following, because in my opinion, I think it's one of the most straightforward ways for you to grow as a small business. Um, just online. It's the best place to get a lot of impressions through social media without any sort of following. I think just, yeah, with that one, like we're just, we're trying to really, like we said, we focus 40 to 80 hours a week on social media and particularly growing our top of the funnel so we can grow as a company. And so, yeah, Pinterest is one we're super passionate about. It's, it's just right now, like, I mean, who knows if, because like social media platforms are constantly changing like what they're doing. But right now it's the easiest way to basically get free. Like not, I mean, it's not free, right? Because you're always devoting time. So like you have a time cost. But as far as organic traffic, it's one of the easiest platforms to grow really fast organically. And yeah, we're just, we're all in on Pinterest and just kind of increasing our sales channel diversity throughout 2019. Awesome. Again, thank you so much for your time, guys. Yeah, great to talk to you. Thanks for having us on. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify. To get your exclusive 30-day extended trial, visit shopify.com slash masters.